Welcome into the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about what coaches really think about the NIL. Now, before we get into that, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, as that goes a long way in helping us uh, get where we want to go with the show. Now, with all that out of the way, let's get into it. Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. And now your host, Christian Hunt. All right, guys, let's get into it. We've got a great show lined up for you today. So first up, Kirby Smart made headlines, all right? He made headlines at a coaching clinic down in Texas. This is what he said, okay? Quote, what I can't accept is some young man getting $10,000 a month for four years or three years of college. That's $120,000 a year. What do you think he's doing with that? Is that actually going to make him more successful in life? Because I promise you, if you handed me $10,000 a month my freshman year of college, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I believe that. Okay, here's what I think. He got a lot of backlash from this. It went on to uh, different media companies and whatnot recovering this. I heard this, and, and look, I kind of, it made me start thinking a lot more, right? You know, we've heard a lot from Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and Jimbo and all these different coaches, right? And I think that there a lot of their thoughts on it, they seem to kind of go back and forth with it, right? But I think he's right and wrong at the same time in this statement. I'll explain why I think he's right and wrong, right? Look, if you look at the staggering number of professional athletes to go broke after their playing days. I mean, it's astronomical, something like 80% or something like that. I think I read of professional athletes go broke. Right. So, you know, I think if kids start to make money in college, you know, college athletes start making money. I think that's going to do a lot of great things for the sport and for them, right? What's going to happen is, is these kids are going to start learning from an early age how to handle money. Now, look, here's what I mean by that, right? I'm not sitting here and I'm not trying to say, hey, Kirby Smart, you know, is wrong or right. But I think what I will say is he's both, right? Okay, he's both in this. A lot of these coaches are both because they, you see them take these hot takes, and we'll get into some more of that here in a second, but they sort of have these two differing hot takes that, that they have. Well, you know, I don't know, the, you know, the kids shouldn't, you know, they should get paid, but I don't know, you know, if we're doing it the right way, right? This is in reality of what we're talking about here, right? Kids, majority of these athletes, majority of these people getting paid, right, are probably going to blow most of that money, okay? When I hear a lot of what's being said, you know, from former athletes, I think they should have got paid, you know, they should be able to show up with the with the Lambo, they should go get the nice watch and the jewelry and, and do this and do that. Well, that's not the best use of money, right? And Again, if they blow all their money in college, which again, I think majority of them will, then when they get out, they will have no, you know, they'll have a better understanding. Hey, I don't want to mess this up. I already did that once in college. So I've got sort of a second chance here with this. Now that I've got the bag again, let me go out and let me see if I can make sure that I uh, handle all the money and everything like that correctly this time, right? And, and you don't have to go out and spend you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on, you know, financial advisors or whatever have you that will tell you how to spend your money. It's, it's simple. It's just, hey, uh, save majority of it and try to cut, you know, what I'm spending to a bare minimum. Now, furthermore, 
after he made these comments at a Texas coaching clinic, you know, for SEC Media Day, Kirby Smart then came out and said, we arguably had the highest paid defensive lineman, the highest paid tight end, and probably the highest paid cornerback in the NIL market. After the national championship, there were guys that exploded. You look at you look at that and see that's pretty substantial. We have depth in our NIL market. The unfortunate thing about NIL is you hear all the negative and the negative outweighs the positive in the media. Now it's interesting because he just brought up a negative thing when he talked about, you know, I don't know if they should be getting paid $10,000 a month, right? Here's the reality of both these situations we're breaking down. It's tough as, as we've seen from majority of these coaches commenting on this, right? It's tough for coaches like Saban and Kirby Smart because they're, they seem to be sort of losing control on this, right? And and the other thing is, it's like they're they're waffling back and forth. You'll get right. They seem to make headlines, right, with their with their real opinions, right? And then right after the they make headlines with what they really think about this, whether it's the NIL or the transfer portal, it's like they always sort of deviate back a little bit, and they sort of say, well. You know, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with how much these guys are getting paid. I think they should get paid, right? They stop short of saying that, and it's kind of like coach speak, and then they'll come out and say something along the lines of, well, yeah, but our guys are making, you know, I mean, that's just a little bit waffling, right? If you're going to say what you say, say it, right, and and, and stand by it. You know, I, I think the real thing here is coaches are saying we're losing control, right? We're losing control, and it's kind of a cry for help because if you think about it from one perspective, uh, majority of coaches are feeling like, hey, all these rules with the transfer portal that are coming out, all these rules with the NIL collective, they are not benefiting us. They only benefit the players, right? I think it's it's interesting, right? And, and we kind of just talked about this a little bit, right? Saban, Nick Saban, you know, he made pretty much the same headlines last year right at the same Texas high school coaching clinic in San Antonio that Kirby Smart did, right? Where he talked about how Bryce Young, who hadn't even, you know, taken a snap yet off NIL, was making millions of dollars, right? Was making, you know, made, made a million dollars or something like that. And to me, that's just not, that's not good, right? Like, I mean, it's not bad, but I mean, it's like, come on. And then like a, a little bit later on, he was talking about the competitive balance of college football with the NIL and everything like that. So it's like, wait a minute, which one is it? You know what I mean? Because you can't promote your own players here. You can't like really promote your own players with it and then talk about how it's ruining the competitive balance of football, right? I, I don't know. It just seems different for both these coaches to do that, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with that. Now, the NCAA, I think, they also dropped the ball on this, right? Is they're allowing athletes to make millions of dollars through boosters, essentially is what this is, right? Oh, Zaxby's will go out and pay you, uh, <laughs> you know, $2 million to come through and do a couple of plugs for them, right? I think that, again, everything should have been done through the schools, I think that they should have put minimum and maximum caps on this. Like, hey, you have to play your, you have to pay your players at least uh, thirty six thousand dollars a year. You cannot pay them more than a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? They should have put all these things in place to do that, right? Now, if programs were caught 
you know, operating outside of that. It wasn't ran through the schools. It wasn't in a way that the NCAA could track it and verify all of it. And, and institutions were caught outside of that. They should have, they should have had to incur penalties, I believe, right? They should have scholarships uh, reduced or something, right? Like they should absolutely be uh, penalties in place for that. You know, here's, here's another question I want to ask you guys, you know, isn't it odd, right? That the NCAA, which is one of the most controlling Right, they're one of the most controlling institutions in all of sports. Just kind of threw their hands up and said, hey, pay the players whatever. You know, there's no real guidelines other than, you know, you you can't pay them. <laughs> no, they, they kind of, they like to have so much control over everything. And they've had so much control for decades and decades and decades. Now, all of a sudden, they're kind of stepping back from it. And they're like, eh, you know, do whatever they want, right? Uh, to me, I find that a little bit odd, right? You know, is this is this them giving up control? Or was it a planned sort of underlying reshuffling of everything, right? Because think about this, right? If, if they do this and they realize the NCAA does, right, that we don't really put out guidelines with it and we're just like, oh, no, look at what happened. Then think of it this way. You know, Alabama all of a sudden may have stricter regulations than Texas, right? And, and we'll get to some quotes about that here in just a second, but they may have different guidelines. So maybe a Texas school is able to go out and recruit, maybe Miami, maybe uh, California, right? Whoever, Tennessee, right? Like you look at all these schools that right now are winning and recruiting. And it's funny because, I mean, it really comes down to how much are you willing to pay to be relevant again, right? So here's the reality of that situation. It's one of those things that if you think about it from a boxing or a UFC standpoint, if you watch the same guys fight, the same fighting matchup between two guys uh, three times and all three times the same guy wins in the same fashion by knockout, you're probably not going to want to watch that fight for a fourth time. But that's exactly what we see year in and year out between the same four or five teams in college football with ultimately it being... Uh, Alabama, right, is the, always the team to beat. So I think the NCAA behind closed doors will never come out and admit this. I think there is a little bit of, you know, if we allow NIL and we don't make it seem like it's our idea and the Supreme Court passes and we throw our hands up and whatever, right, then we're not the bad guys in this. We don't have to incur any of that. We're just doing what they told us. But they don't come by and they don't put any, uh, you know, they don't put any guidelines in place with it. Well, think about this, right? Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, they may not, you know, they may start reshuffling out of that. They may not be the top four or five teams anymore, right? So what's going to happen is now that they're not part of those four or five top teams, now it's Texas, it's USC, it's Miami, right, that are that are starting to be more competitive. Well, that's going to view that's going to boost, you know, your your viewership ratings. When you start boosting your viewership ratings, you start selling out more of those games, etc. Well, guess what? You're bringing in more revenue. So in turn, you're making more money, right? So I think that could be a little bit of what's driving this. Now, let's take a look at this, right? Jimbo Fisher, he talked at SEC Media Days, right, about this, right? He said this is a little, he said this, right? He said it's a state thing, not an NCAA thing. In Texas, we can't even bring up NIL while in other states, while in other states, they can present written contracts to recruit. So what he's saying there is, is in Texas, they can't talk about NIL, right? They, they can't talk about it. It's one of those things where it's a no-no, right? 
And then, but he's saying that in other states, hey, they can literally sit down and have written contracts, you know, for their guys when they come in. And it's kind of a messed up thing. They're not all operating under the same guidelines for this. I think the main point in this segment that we're trying to really get at is that most college coaches, to some degree, whether they're really vocal about it or they're kind of the guy in the back that's like, what? No, I would never say that. Pay them whatever they want. But deep down, they're really saying that is this whole thing's been mishandled. I mean, it, it completely has been mishandled. It's like, uh, you know, toothpaste that's out of the, the tube. You can't just go put it back in the tube now, right? You can't, now that you've said, hey, you've got kids making millions and hundreds of thousands and whatever have you, you can't just say, okay, now we're going to restrict this and do that, right? Uh, I think that, you know, looking back on this, my last point would be this. You know, if you're going to make decisions on behalf of the NCAA, which the Supreme Court did with this, right, then you need to go all the way and you need to make legislation throughout the country that has a guideline for it, right? You need to, if you're going to go through and say, you need to pay them, then you need to at least give them a roadmap of how we're going to do that to make it fair. I think that's at least a, a fair argument, right? If you're going to tell me how to run my business, well, you better have a guideline and how I can do it successfully, right? The other side of that is, Okay, the other side of that is, if you're the NCAA, then you should have based everything, if all they said was, you have to pay your athletes, you should have based everything off of the strictest states with NIL's rules, right? So if a state says, hey, you can't talk to players about NIL, it has to be X, Y, and Z, you can only do this, or whatever have you, you should have based it off the strictest of states as far as that is concerned, right? That would have made it the most fair because that way everybody can in some way at least follow those same guidelines. It's just interesting to see, like I said, how all this has played out, what the coaches are saying, what's kind of being thrown back and forth here. It's kind of an interesting spot. Anyways, moving on, we've got some hot takes for the day. I've got a couple here to get to for you. Let's take a look at this. We've got our first hot take, Deuce Vaughn of Kansas State University, the running back, is going to win the Heisman this year. Well. I saw this one on the Reddit board, and I thought that was kind of an interesting hot take, right? Look, Deuce Vaughn put up 1,900 yards last year to go alongside of 22 touchdowns. His team went 8-5 and five last year. Now, I didn't keep up that intently with Kansas State football last year, but here's something I can tell you. Typically, Heisman Trophy winners uh, are on teams that win at least, I don't know, they, they win a lot, right? I don't know if Kansas State in that loaded sort of Big 12, if you want to call it that, right? With Texas looking to be a lot better this year, Oklahoma still looks to be relevant. Uh, you've got Baylor, Oklahoma State. You've got all these different schools that are out there. You've got West Virginia, right? West Virginia could be really good this year. You've got all these sort of schools out there that honestly could beat them this year. And so I don't know if you win seven, eight games, if you're going to be getting that recognition uh, you know, to be a Heisman winner, unless you're putting up absolute insane numbers. Not to mention, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've seen a running back win the Heisman. It seems almost, you know, exclusively this year, or not this this year, but in past, it just seems like in recent years, it's quarterbacks and wide receivers, right? <laughs> like you, it almost seems like you would have a better chance at winning the award if he played middle linebacker and had like a crazy year, right? 
<laughs> just honestly speaking. Let's get to another one here. We've got USC does not make the Pac-12 championship game. You know, for my notes on this, the one thing I, I wrote down was uh, go look at their schedule. Go Go look at their schedule. Go look at that talent that they have around them and tell me how they somehow don't manage to make it to the Pac-12. They don't make it to the Pac-12 championship game this year when they had the number one transfer portal class this year, which will have an immediate impact on them. If they don't make it to the Pac-12 championship, uh, you know, based off how easy their schedule is this year, right? All these different things that kind of line up. Well, that's just, to me, that is a reflection on Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, more so than anything else, right? It's a hot take, but again, you know, it, it's not the hottest of hot takes, but it's not, I don't know. To me, it's a little, it's a little insane to say that. I think, uh, I think USC gets to the Pac-12 championship game pretty easily this year. All right, let's get into the last one we've got here. Spencer Rattler has a much better year than Caleb Williams in a harder conference. Spencer Rattler, of course, as we know, transferred over to uh, South Carolina. I think, eh, you know, at first I was kind of breaking this down. I was kind of going back and forth. I was trying to see it from different points of view. Here's, here's what I've got for you. On paper, Spencer Rattler is a better quarterback than Caleb Williams, right? It's, he was a higher-rated recruit. He came out. He put up the one year that he got to actually start and got left alone. He put up better numbers. Uh, he was he looks more dynamic, probably in shorts and, you know, no helmets, seven-on-seven seven camps. I'm sure he looks like the better quarterback on paper and in every other technical definition. But the key word in this hot take is a harder conference. Again, we just talked about USC. We just talked about some of these things. Uh, in real life, Caleb Williams has the easier schedule and he has more talent around him. Not saying those kids at South Carolina aren't good, but when you compare the talent that they have compared to the rest of the SEC, I don't see Spencer Rattler. I, I, I Like I said, I don't say he's going to have a terrible year this year. I think he'll still put up good numbers. I just don't see him being able to keep pace with Caleb Williams in the Pac-12 where uh, he's got two of the most electric players in college football in Travis Dye, the running back who transferred from Oregon, and then uh, Jordan Addison, the wide receiver, uh, who transferred in from Pitt, who was one of the best receivers in the country last year, right? Uh, like I said, I as far as this hot take is concerned, I think Caleb Williams has a better year. Flat Rock Sports presents Cruising Talk. We've got another exciting segment of Cruising Talk for you, and that starts right now. First up on the list, we've got UGA back at it again, right? They've signed the nation's number three safety in Jonel Aguero. Now, he's the number 34 player in the class, and that actually helps bring Georgia, like we're talking about, up to number three in this class. Next up on the list, we've got Alabama. Now, Bama is interesting in this because they signed the number 14 offensive tackle in Olaus Alinen, who's the number 122 player in the country, and that helps jump Bama up to the number eight class currently. At last on the list here, I've got Stanford. Now, we talked about Stanford a little bit in the hot, on the Hunt's hot seat rating. We talked about them a little bit yesterday. Check it out. They actually signed the country's number five tight end in Walker Lions. All right. He's the number 87 player and the number 30, and that actually is going to help jump them up to the number 35 class, which we talked a little bit about yesterday. Now, as far as, uh, you know, our top 15 recruiting rankings that we normally like to cover, nothing's really changed on that. It's still Ohio State at number one. 
and then uh, you know you've got everybody else sort of fighting for that top spot right so it'll be interesting to see how this sort of shakes out before now and signing day flat rock sports presents hunt's hot seat all right, on today's segment of Hunt's Hot Seat, I've got a good one for you, right? It's not really talked about one that much. It's not probably mainstream, but we've got a good one. We've got FAU coach Willie Taggart. Now, Taggart is an interesting one because he's been at some high-profile jobs before, and now he's at FAU, right? Taggart currently has a 66-73 and 73 record, all right? Now, let's kind of break it back a little bit. Let's take a look back at where he got, you know, where he was at before he got to FAU. Right, he went seven and five at Oregon. Then he had a nine and twelve record at FSU. Right, overall Taggart is ten and eleven. Okay, at FAU in two years. Now, if we go back just a little bit more with that, right? Here's what you're going to see. Taggart actually has never really won a bowl game before, right? And here's the reason why I say that's interesting. He's either uh, jumped into programs, and I think he's only coached in like two bowl games, hasn't won any of them, but he's made it to a couple of bowl games and he departed. Okay. He departed for other jobs before those games, right? Now, I say all of this to say this, right? This is what's putting him on that hot seat. Lane Kiffin, who was uh, the predecessor there at FAU, guided FAU to a 26 and 13 record before jumping ship to go over to Old Miss. Now, that was in three years. This is part of what's kind of followed Taggart since Oregon, though, right? Now, Taggart, he got into a lot of trouble at Oregon, right? He put his players through such a uh, intense conditioning session that it actually hospitalized three players. And he's kind of dealing from some of the fallout all the way back then, right, at Oregon. He's still dealing with that today. So there, there's a big part of that. Now, Here's where it also gets interesting, right? Right now, FAU currently has the number 72 ranked recruiting class. If they can maintain that, that's actually not bad for FAU, right? Because they've averaged the 104th recruiting class, uh, you know, since Willie Taggart's taken over the program. Here's some other things that are a little concerning for FAU fans. He has not been at the same school Okay, he's not coached at the same school for more than three years ever in his career. He's going to have to do that. He's going to have to step up. He's going to have to get some tenure here, right? That's just the reality of the situation, okay? Now, when we're looking at this, you know, what makes this interesting is FAU is actually going to be moving from the Conference USA over to the AAC in 2023. So they're jettisoning that. They're kind of taking that place over. Uh, you know, for some of those other schools out there, right? Now, when I was going through and I'm looking at doing my, my Hunt's Hot Seat rating for this, you know, I was like, well, it's probably a 10. And I'm like, eh, you know, I started thinking back on it a little more. Look, FAU is a good school. But as far as football, when you think of FAU and football, what do you think of? Probably Lane Kiffin, right? Some, some other big names that kind of come through, like Howard Schnellenberger, right? Well, not a whole lot. So I'm like, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, I give this a seven on the scale of 10. I give it a seven because it's not a big major powerhouse, right? With that being said, you've got a rival, you know, and another team down there in Florida, I would like to think in U UCF, who's been relevant. They kind of have given you the blueprint and you guys, you know, FAU's had a little bit of success. They were like, you know, if you're, if I'm an FAU fan, 
think of, well, you know, here's UCF over here. How do they do it? Well, you need to figure out how they do it and kind of try to model it just like that. You know, and I think that could be what they're doing with the move over to the, uh, the AAC. You know, that could be it, right? But it's also really hard when you're a guy like Willie Taggart and you're trying to follow in the footsteps of someone like Lane Kiffin, who's had all the success at a small tier, uh, you know, at the small tier program, right? You know, FAU is not a football powerhouse when you think back on it. They've only won the Conference USA twice and they've made five bowl games uh, since their program's been around. This year, this is another thing, and this could be a, a huge red flag when we when we check out when we check all this out, right? They've hired six new assistant coaches this year around the program. Typically, when you want to look at things going wrong, and we talked about this a lot, you know, when we were doing when we were breaking down uh, Scott Frost on the Hunt's hot seat rating. Whenever you go out and it's it's your job, I'm I'm in charge of all this, and I've completely replaced all the staff. We still have those issues. It makes it that much faster that people are going to start realizing, hey, you might be part of the problem. So he's effectively eliminating all excuses here uh, as to why they shouldn't be successful, right? They brought in all new assistant coaches. If they start performing really well, that should be something that they, uh, you know, say, okay, what was the assistant coaches? If they don't perform well, well, hey, maybe it's the head guy in charge. Now we talk about this because Something else is going on right now over in Miami. One of the hottest assistant coaches in college football is uh, Miami offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. Okay, now what I mean by that is is he's quickly rising up the ranks and should get a crack at being a head coach. Look, he's he's already in Florida, right? It would make sense to me if I'm FAU to maybe go out and look at uh, trying to bring him on to be the coach over there, right? It'd be a good transition. He's already in Florida. Let's see what you can do. Now, Gaddis may not take that job right he may say well i want something a little more high profile than fau right could be a good it could be a good starting point though for gaddis uh, as he's looking to you know make that his first head coaching job it could be a, a perfect fit right for them now here's the reality of the situation and this is why i would recommend maybe bringing somebody else in to lead the program you know they need to reach ucf like levels right they need to start competing in whatever conference they're in, whether it's the Conference USA or the AAC. Now they're jumping conferences. And, and again, over the next few years, we're gonna see all this reshuffling in college football. So potentially what you might see is you might see the FAUs of the world, the UCFs of the world, right? The FIUs of the world becoming even more relevant, right? Even though we think it's all about the power five, then the power four, whatever have you, we could start to see uh, some interesting dynamics with this, right? And we're seeing a lot more schools uh, jettison their coaches before jumping into confer different conferences, right? So you never know. At the end of this year, they may, you know, when they enter into the AAC in 23, they may say, hey, you know what? Thanks so much, uh, Willie, but we're going to go a different direction. But anyways, with that being said, guys, that's actually going to conclude this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your source for daily college football content. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.